This episode's topic is being a mindful grandparent. What's the opposite of being a mindful grandparent? Someone who is forgetful, mindless, careless, heedless, inattentive, neglectful, oblivious, unaware, negligent, remiss, thoughtless, or unobservant? Quite a list, huh? And I have to admit that sometimes I'm some of those things. How about you? I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And in this episode of The Grand Life, we're going to talk once again to the author of The Mindful Grandparent, Shirley Showalter, about what it is to be a thoughtful and observant grandparent. It's challenging sometimes and not always easy, but with a few tips, we can all at least be better at it. Shirley, it's so good to have you back on The Grand Life. Welcome back. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be here. Yeah, it's great to talk with you. And we're going to talk a little more about your book, The Mindful Grandparent. We did touch on it. We talked a bit about it in our last episode with you. But I feel like at that point, I'd read reviews of the book. I had talked to people who'd read the book, but I hadn't read the book myself. And so I I reached out to you and said, hey, you know, I really want to talk to you more about this now that I've read the book. So um, thanks for coming on and, and being willing to go a little deeper in this subject. My pleasure. You know, you write in the beginning, in the very introduction, you write about claiming generational differences in mindful grandparenting. And I'm going to quote you here. It says, if we have homes with slightly slower rhythms, if we lead quieter lives than our adult children who face demands that have diminished for us, we may be able to offer refuge, respite, or periodic reframing of what our grandchildren have come to think of as normal. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about that because it was very encouraging to me. Um, I mean, in your opinion, what do we offer as grandparents? Well, one of the ways we could talk about this would be to say that we actually offer a second home to our grandchildren, depending on how far away they live and how often they visit us. they will come to be very familiar with our space Mm -hmm. and our pace and our uh, preferences. Um, It can be a place that is different from home, but feels uh, comforting and exciting as an alternative to home. Uh, We have a five-year-old granddaughter, Lydia, and her... uh, inquiry every time I see her is, is there something new at home? (laughs) Uh, She wants to know if I've dropped something that I found for her somewhere along uh, the line in in her favorite places. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's a fun little game to actually think of some new things. Maybe it's a a feather, maybe it's um, seashells from my recent trip to the beach, or maybe it's a new library book. Um, she'll she'll find it. She, she knows all her places and she will, in fact, get to uh, the new, but it's also the familiar. She, um, she likes to feel at home and feel uh, just one other place where um, she can explore and um, in many ways, uh, create her own um, kingdom. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk about refuge and respite and different spaces and places. 
I think about our own children going to other people's homes and recognizing how homes differ, how they operate differently at different paces or some, or they have different traditions. And, you know, I've always thought about that when my kids were growing up thinking, wow, it's really great that they go to other people's homes and they see how other people live. And even by the time they got to college, same thing, they were going into, you know, stay with uh, another family or going to a study abroad program. All of those things, when, when you do that with your grandchildren, when they come in, there are different rules, different traditions, different ways of thinking. I think it's good. Yeah. In a, in a manner of speaking, in a sweet way, it's my house, my rules. Yeah. But, but in a healthy yes. way. And we've heard many takes on that from mm-hmm. many of your guests who have said, when we bring our grandchildren here, we want them to participate in our patterns. We want them to value or at least spend time observing the valuing of the things that are important to us as a growth experience. Yeah. yeah. And that's true even for our two grandchildren who live at a distance. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma is pretty far from Lidditz, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But we do see each other often. We have month anniversary phone calls, which I think I is an idea I picked up from you. Oh, yeah. You're not the only one. Lots of people have done that. It's great. <laughs> and um, they, too, are very familiar with our spaces. And mm-hmm. uh, we can, in, in our regular phone conversations with them, talk about things that have changed. Also, share with them things that uh, aren't all that visible, such as um, my passion for pickleball, or um, (laughs) even the activism I'm engaged in right now with the local school board primary. And our 12-year-old grandson can begin to enter into almost adult-like conversations, and it's an expansion of his idea of who we are and what our home is like. It, it includes all the things that we do. It's those rhythms right. that that particular quote was um, referencing. Yeah, we're definitely heading into slower rhythms. And I have noticed um, some of the grandchildren out of the 10 appreciate a slower rhythm more than others. Some really, really like it. I'll take one aside. And I was walking with, we, we just got back from the Biltmore house and we were in uh, Asheville, Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to, we, we went through some of the gardens and I was saying, oh, there's some snapdragons and there's, and I was naming things and she just looked up and she said, Emmy, you like flowers, don't you? And I thought, you know, she appreciated, she wanted to know more. Some of them would have run off and would not have been interested in what I was saying, but she was particularly interested. So it's kind of fun to mm-hmm. also share that slower rhythm with certain children. I think noticing things is one of the most important things we do as grandparents. Yeah. And children are, when they're very little, they're all good at noticing. Yes. Um, and then as they get older, personalities begin to separate a little bit, and some of them are much more interested. But we have the power of directing their attention. And one of the things we can notice about them is if they like to notice or not. Yes. And we can encourage noticing and it it makes us more mindful that um, one of the gifts that our grandchildren give us is uh, to teach us to do this better and deeper. 
Yep. Powers of observation are part of that mindful grandparenting, I think, for both sides, grandchildren and grandparents. You know, yes. I, I want to talk yeah. to you a little bit about this chapter um, where you talked about grand nannying. Uh, I just found it fascinating. I'm not sure that I would have what it took to do what you did, but can <laughs> you tell us about that and if you have any regrets or would do anything differently in this grand nanny adventure that you went on? So first, is it exactly what it sounds like it would be? It is. And uh, we uh, were the substitutes for our children needing to hire a nanny. Mm -hmm. As it turned out, we did this twice uh, with the first grandchild in each um, family. And the first time we did it, we did it because we had uh, recently heard stories of friends who went to Boston and I think they actually moved in with the family and mm. were were the nanny there. And uh, it, it wouldn't have occurred to us other uh, than that. We had not read about other people doing it. Uh, certainly nobody did it for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not heard of. We would have uh, we would have appreciated uh, more help from grandparents because we lived in Indiana and they lived in Pennsylvania and Virginia and yeah. we saw them once or twice a year. So we didn't have that option ourselves. We didn't have a prior experience, but uh, we had the story of friends who did it, and um, I recently had retired from the Fetzer Institute, which was my job in Michigan. We had just moved to Virginia when the baby was born, and before the baby was born, we offered to do what our friends had done. Uh, and it took us a while to kind of negotiate that, because yeah. uh, what would this look like? They lived in Brooklyn. They didn't have room for us there. Uh, it would have been very crowded and not good. Yeah. Um, but for the same price that they would have paid, in fact, less than the price that it, than a nanny would have cost, Yeah. they could get us an apartment. Now, whether wow. you could do it um, in, we were on the 13th or 14th floor of a beautiful high rise, but a very tiny apartment, 800 square feet. <laughs> um, and we had a, six block walk to their house every day, which was part of the enjoyment. Uh, yeah. Just we're country people and we were in the city. So it was a big adventure. And um, what we could do because Stuart had a flexible work uh, assignment and I was retired by that time. I was writing a book, but I was retired and we could, one of us could go in the morning we would then make lunch for the other person. We would all three of us, the baby and uh, Stuart and I, would have lunch together and then we'd flip. The other person would take the assignment. So because there were two of us, yeah. it really was minimal work. Because I mean, really, well, I was going to say when you have their babies, they're sleeping in the morning and they're yeah. sleeping in the afternoon. So not so bad. And that's when we went. Yes. We didn't go when they were toddlers. <laughs> Yes. Good note. Good note. Well, there's a certain, um, there's a requirement that we conserve energy because yeah. what yeah. might have been a little frenetic when we were younger is now wildly frenetic yeah. as, as we're older. At least it feels that way to me. Yeah. It's about that pace yeah. slowing, I think. Yeah. And so you do kind of have to pick your times, conserve your energy. Right. Well, yeah. That's amazing. I think that's amazing that you did it. I imagine you don't have any regrets having done that. Zero. 
Yeah, absolutely none. And many, many positive memories. We made a little book about the experience of that first year. And now Owen is going on his uh, coming of age trip with us this summer. He is the the baby that we cared for. And we will be able to talk with him, I think, about that granny nanny experience as he is beginning to develop the kind of memory that moving into adulthood requires. And uh, he has, I'm sure, almost no memories, but he will have memories of our storytelling about it. Yes. And it it is part of the bond that we sense from him that continued after we left. Yeah. We were sure. there from age four months to age um, 14 months. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that time, you know, all those developmental milestones take place. And he was about to walk when we left. Yeah. There was so much skin to skin uh, holding and rocking. And, oh, we walked oh, all over wow. Brooklyn. Uh, Prospect Park, uh, uh, Fort Green Park. That allowed us to do exploring uh, while we were able to take care of him. And there really was not one time that it was either boring. Well, you know, sort of boring. Um, Child care can be boring. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's face it, it can be. So, Shirley, what are the things that you would cite now that you sense that are after effects of that relationship building? What do you what do you feel now? Uh, yeah, it's it's like there's a, a rock solid bed uh, in the relationship. And mm. he mm-hmm. is so sensitive and kind. He's a very sweet young man. <laughs> mm. um, I'm sure he would have been even if we hadn't done this. But uh, he knows that we have invested in him. Right, right. He knows that we will continue to invest in him as long as we breathe. Right. And so we're part of his rock solid foundation and um, and he's part of ours. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a knowing. It, it, it's hard to even wrap yeah. your head around it, but it's a knowing mm-hmm. that you can't yeah. do anything but but enjoy. I mean, you you have that. Yeah. That whole idea of, of the skin, the mm-hmm. contact with the skin, with the baby. Um, something happens that we don't have language for. Right. That's what I was but, getting at. Yeah. But you can sense. Yeah. yeah, it's a sensing. You know, your your co-author, Marilyn, um, wrote about in the book about being having it be good to have significant portions of our lives as grandparents that have nothing to do with our grandchildren. And I find that hard sometimes. I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, I I almost feel like grandparenting for me is like a hobby. Like it would, it's really hard. Like Mike, I feel like Mike does a better job having things outside of grandparenting. Wouldn't you say, Mike? Well, it's because I've always been kind of a hobbies oriented person and a, a sort of a do things and figure stuff out and fig, you know, teach myself how to do something interesting and then do it for a while. So these things are, uh, they're, they're process oriented, they're task dependent. They require a bunch of, uh, concentration and all of those things kind of conspire to pull me away from whatever else might be, uh, you know, significant or important or timely or whatever. 
Many times that's a bad thing, but I think that it's the same roots as what we're now talking about is, or what Marilyn talks about as being a good thing. Yeah. What yeah. do you think? I think it is definitely a good thing, uh, whether you're retired or not. And uh, and there is the fact that you have 10 grandchildren. <laughs> My mind is just always on them. I can't stop yes. thinking about them. <laughs> I only have three yeah. and only one close by. So that makes a big difference as to this, the yeah. amount of space it takes up in your life. But mm -hmm. it is important for all of us. This is true in marriage. It's true in any of our relationships that we have a, a center of self that is separate from the relationship. Uh, but I'm sure you have that. And I'm also sure that it will evolve as time goes on. Yes. Because uh, developmental stages uh it's quite clear to me that we're entering the, um, you know, the stage of of early teenagehood mm -hmm. uh, very soon, and that that will mean uh, a much different kind of relationship uh, going in the future. But you have interests and gifts. Your your podcast. Well, <laughs> it, you know, it, it is wrapped. Example. It's wrapped up in grandchildren, unfortunately, in that sense. But yeah, you're right. That is no, completely I, I separated. Think, I don't think that I won't accept your explanation because um, <laughs> what you're doing here is pushing yourself in uh, technology, in relationships, in um, becoming an expert by talking to experts yeah, and yeah. not every grandmother does this, you know? No, you're right. <laughs> well, I feel a little better about myself. Thank you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> In the book, you talk about sharing family stories that quote, flesh people out as humans. Um, as you say, you know, I, I remember specifically Michael's grandmother used to sit at the table and uh, talk about stories and reminisce and say the same stories over and over again. And his father, who would be the son-in-law, would just get annoyed. You know, just it's like, oh, we've heard this story a million times. We don't want to hear it again. Um, and so you don't we don't want to be as grandparents. We don't want to be accused of reminiscing to the extreme. But you mentioned that it is important to, you know, to share our stories and then also to be comfortable being silent as other people tell their stories. So maybe you could, you know, flesh that out a little. Well, I'd be happy to. In storytelling, we have lots of opportunities uh, informally to make sure that our children and our grandchildren hear that we remember things related to two generations and and or more mm -hmm. uh, so that children the grandchildren pay most attention if you tell them something that their father or mother did um when they were young uh -huh. and uh, or they uh, Lydia right now is uh, her question is tell me something that you did that was bad <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I'd have to think about that. I was the perfect child. <laughs> she wants to hear about what I did wrong and how I was punished. Naughty grandmother. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's funny. Well, I, I'm sure she'll move on to new topics, but but that was generated by her. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, I, sh I should explore a little bit more about what is bringing that particular uh, subject up. <laughs> 
But a lot of it happens informally and uh, to my knowledge, they're not overly repetitious, but uh, <laughs> I suppose they could get that way and be annoying. But um, mostly I think they they are the little things that that create windows into a past that you didn't experience yourself. Okay. And so I think they're really healthy and good and fun. We should do it often. But sometimes we actually uh, do it in a very particular and um, researched way. Uh And it happens that my husband, a journalist, um, took it upon himself to write family histories of his family, the Showalter Grove Roads and Showalter families, and my family, Hershey Snyder Hess and her families. Oh, nice. And what he did was to start with our grandchildren and go backward. So you're you're holding up a couple of spiral-bound books that look to be maybe 75, 100 pages each? Yes, that's what they are. They were uh, Christmas gifts to our children, and they include little photos. biographies, photos mm-hmm. of grandparents and great-grandparents. Um, yeah. Over a hundred years of wow. um, family history. What and, a precious gift! Yeah. yeah, to the children and the grandchildren and those who come later. Yeah, so uh, I give my husband credit for for doing all of the labor involved in this, and it's substantial labor. Yeah, um, and not every family will want to do that, but anything you can do, like take a a family tree. Some of the best-selling books about grandparenting are those journals that you can yeah. mm-hmm. buy in Barnes and Noble and so forth. Um, filling out a, a journal with information, stories, and family tree, and um, yeah. a little family history that way is is a valuable thing to do. And it doesn't have to be as arduous as his two master's theses are. (laughs) Well, I mean, that was one of the things I appreciated about your book. After each chapter, um, and I'm sure this was done on purpose to engage everyone, but after each chapter, you would have suggestions on what you could do personally to, uh, you know, make it easier to tell stories or to do uh, a play, have fun with your kids or do some nature with grandkids or whatever. And they were very practical. And I liked that part of it. Oh, good. Thank you. That The the whole idea between uh, Marilyn and me was to make our book um, truly representative of our own lives, but Mm -hmm. as much as possible to make that uh, accessible and helpful to other people. And it's it's just like uh, grandparent sharing. Yeah. Yeah. I got that feeling. You know, I love the chapter on play where you advise that anything you love yourself and want to teach your grandchildren would become a, a really treasured memory for them with a better than average chance of a transfer to other generations in the future. Um, when I read that, I kept thinking, yeah, grandkids can really sense authenticity. Like if if you like oh, yeah. something, they can tell. Yes. And they love when you get excited. <laughs> right. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. But isn't isn't there a flip side to this, though? The The grandparent who is sort of obsessively always engaged in something that um, uh, maybe a grandchild might look at more critically? Well, there's a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of any examples of it in my own experience, but okay. I, could, I, I, I can imagine it. 
Well, that's um, that's the only thing I'm citing here is just yeah. imagining the fact yeah. that, you know, crazy old kook granddad, he just won't ever put down those World War II documentaries yeah. on VHS tapes that haven't, <laughs> darn it, they haven't worn out yet and we wish they would. <laughs> But he just keeps yeah. watching them over and over yeah. again. Clearly, it's important to him. Well, I don't know, but right. I think she's talking. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think what you have in you is a sitcom ready to come. <laughs> but um, I think what what she what we're talking about is more um, something that you would engage your grandchildren yes, with, something not that is just relational. you're sitting there watching yeah. VHS or whatever. But yeah, okay. yeah. In the book, the example is a very simple one where. My granddaughter and I, she was about eight. We were uh, walking across a freshly mowed lawn and it had been, the grass had been pretty high. So the, the clippings were thick on, piled on the green carpet. And I started uh, making something. I said, uh, what, what am I making? And I would pile them up of uh, the clippings into rows and then boxes squares and she got excited she said you're making a house and so I continued doing that and I I would you like to make a room in my house and we, we played and, <laughs> so and, and made a, a whole big mansion after a while and then I told her that in third grade that we would hope that the clippings would be um on the grass so the, this would be one of our favorite things to do and it, I can imagine that someday she'll be walking across the grass with her grandchild and yes. that she'll tell that same story and do that same thing. I'd like to end with a quote from chapter 24, page 121. I wonder if you could read that paragraph that begins with, we can take our grandchildren. We can take our grandchildren to new places in books, sometimes in movies, sometimes in cars and planes. My hope is that each of our growing gaggle of grandchildren will become citizens of the earth and be able to enjoy some of its rich diversity. I hope they recognize home as the place you start from, learn from, and perhaps love but only the beginning of a widening stage on which their stories may be played out in many acts, among many actors, all of whom are on their own journeys of discovery. I just love that. I love that concept. It's a very large picture. It's very much a vast look at what it is to be a grandparent. And it is just a small we're really a small part of their lives, but not an insignificant one. Thank you so much for writing that book. Thank you for your time and The Mindful Grandparent, The Art of Loving Our Children's Children. I think it's one of those books that you you know keep, keep around and you keep consulting. I really appreciate your time. And some other time, I'm going to have to have you back and talk about activism because that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Well, it certainly is. And uh, I will be happy to come back anytime you ask. Great. Well, we'd love to have you. Thank Thanks you, so much, Shirley. Thank you. I think having a broad picture of what we're all about in our grandparenting is key. You know, it's the everyday stuff that adds up to the whole experience for your grandchildren. And it's not always the big stuff. It's just that consistent love and deep caring that I think we can offer to our grands. 
Try not to get intimidated by it. Just make an effort. Be mindful, and your grands will see that and love you for it. You can and will make a difference in their lives. Also, just a reminder, you can make a difference in ours if you rate, review, or share our podcast with others. It's easy. You know, it usually happens inside the app that you use to pull down the podcast episodes that you listen to. So giving us a rating is really easy. It's usually a scale of one to five stars and one click and you're done. Reviewing would take just a minute of writing out your impressions for the benefit of other listeners who are looking for advice. So give them your advice. Also, if you haven't visited our Facebook page lately, I will be posing a question about the future of the Grand Life. We would love your input as we move forward. You know, we've been doing this for four years now. Can you believe it? Thank you, loyal listeners. We appreciate you. I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And thanks for joining us in Living the Grand Life. Next time on The Grand Life. Social media, it has consequences, and we're starting to see that in our generation and the generation going before us. Children are angry with their parents for having put things on social media, and it's going to happen more with grandchildren, right? It's important that grandparents pay attention to what they put on social media. We did a whole episode about this a few years ago. Now some of those children are adults, and they're going, Mom, what were you thinking? That's next time here on The Grand Life.